0: Welcome to HSBC Talks Business, the podcast series that brings together business leaders and industry experts to explore the latest global insights, trends, and opportunities. Make sure you're subscribed to stay up to date with new episodes. Thanks for listening. And now on to today's show.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the podcast today. We are going to be discussing opportunities across ASEAN and the Minat regions. My name is Khalid Al-Khadi. I am the Managing Director and Regional Head of International Banking in HSBC's Minat Operations. I'm joined today by two wonderful colleagues, Harish Venkatasan, who is the Managing Director and Country Head of International Banking for HSBC Singapore, and Ian Tandy, the Regional Co-Head for our Global Trade and Receivables Finance Business in Asia-Pacific. We're coming to you today at a pretty timely moment, We're coming off the back of a recently released report on the relationship between MENA and ASEAN, how that is growing and what topics and findings that that report has covered. It's a pretty exciting time on both sides of this corridor uh, from a trade and investment perspective across multiple exciting sectors. The Middle East economy where I sit is once again in full swing uh, with COVID very firmly in the rear view mirror and growth in ASEAN continues to outstrip much of the rest of the world. So the new opportunities that are arising in this actually thousand-year-old trade route is a very, very exciting topic for both sides of the equation. When global supply lines are being redrawn along the lines of geopolitics and technology gathering pace, I think these two regions are really ideally placed for new opportunities. So let's hear a little bit from Harish and Ian uh, and understand what they think. Harish, if I can come to you first, what do you think is most exciting about these two emerging regions?
0: Yeah, thanks so much, uh, Khaled. Really exciting times. If I can uh, speak about a few points uh, around ASEAN and what makes it exciting. First and foremost, I think ASEAN is the fifth largest economy in the world, and the GDP is set to hit $4 trillion by 2025. On top of this, the exports from the region are expected to touch $2.8 trillion that itself speaks to the size. Now, what is contributing to this enormous potential is first the demographics of the region. There are 650 million people across this region, but the even more striking part of this is it's got a growing middle class. Uh, A number of studies show that about 60% of the population will be under the age of 35 by 2030. So that speaks to the volume of the potential. Putting it another way, by 2030, one in every six household that's entering the world economy is gonna be from ASEAN. So the demographics make it very, very exciting for a number of companies. In addition to the demographics, the region is also gonna be really hungry for infrastructure development again, a number of studies put the needs to be around two to $3 trillion between, you know, 2020 and 2030. So it speaks about the enormous need there. And as infrastructure is being built out, the governments and the private sector companies are very, very actively thinking about sustainability. In fact, the region has set a target of 23% renewable energy by 2025. So, a number of exciting themes that highlight the potential of this region.
1: Thanks, Harish. I mean, (laughs) I was just listening to you there, and there are so many parallels. So, I think about the Middle East. We are a combined Middle East, North Africa, and Turkey, I would say, are are a combined population of um, over half a billion people, and a massive proportion of that. I mean, seven or eight out of 10 in some markets are under 30 years old. So, again, as you said, it's a prime market for goods and services. But also you couple that with a strong desire of the governments here to ensure youth participation in the workforce so you've got a vibrant workforce and a growing middle class as well as you said coming off the back of Um, a fairly successful cycle of oil of oil prices that there's higher disposable income increasing the demand for goods and services all across the board and then your point on sustainability is really well made and in the middle east there's almost a double pivot because of the historical dependence on hydrocarbons for many of the markets we've had here they recognize that at the government level many of these governments are agile and uh, some of them are very very liquid and able to implement things really quickly so we're seeing Diversification strategies come to life in things like tourism, and things in things like technology, and things like financial services, and it's creating, um, you know, a lot of activity. Ian, I don't know whether you're seeing what you're seeing from a trade perspective, but I know that there's been a a, a tremendous amount of increased engagement between these two regions.
2: Halid, first of all, thank you so much for for inviting me on this, and and I love the way you started this podcast by referring to the fact that this was a thousand-year-old trade route. It's something that we just need to remind ourselves of, this is not something new. But of course, in a post-pandemic world, we've seen the relationship refreshed and we've seen that the strong foundations that were built for that over those thousands of years have been updated and they've been updated with the governments talking to each other and, and genuinely having a desire to, to agree agreements between themselves. I um, mean, there's a number of agreements that have been signed over the last few years between Singapore, Indonesia and Malaysia with some of the MENAC countries. Um, we've seen the GCC sign a free trade agreement with Singapore. So in reality, the two sides have got together and decided there is huge opportunities. Yourself and Harish talked about the dynamics of the market and their markets are incredibly dynamic. There's growing opportunities on both sides. And, of course, with the natural resources that Minat has and with the growing demographics of the ASEAN market in in particular, the opportunities are huge. And and, and the the purpose of our report is to point this out to our customers and to point out that there are significant opportunities in these parts of the world, and there are significant opportunities to help this 1,000-year-old trade route to be reinvigorated, to make sure the, the future looks bright in a post-COVID environment. I would also point to the fact that there's very strong investor confidence across both regions. FDI inflows have been uh, has been mostly on an upward trajectory, if you take out the COVID years, over the 10 years. And, and Singapore's FDI inflows surged from 40 to over 99 billion, to give you one example. And one from Minas UAE's FDI inflows tripled from seven billion to 20 billion. So the investor confidence in both markets is there. And there's also sizable export gaps, which presents opportunities. There needs to be a gap to present an opportunity. And within the report, we point out some of those gaps, for example, within the metal, within the chemical sector, and also within the electronics equipment and machinery. So there's a huge opportunity to make sure that this thousand year old relationship uh, is is refreshed. And, And the governments on both sides are working hard to ensure that the companies have the best way of dealing with those to making sure that the trade continues. Thanks, Ian. I think
1: that's really, really important to stress the symbiotic nature of the relationship, uh, both historically and going forward. I think everything you said there is, is 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 correct, particularly about the increased activity between the governments of the two regions, and we, we saw Indonesia sign, a buzzword here is the SIPA. um we, we hear a lot about SIPAs, which are called Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreements, which are uh, de facto free trade agreements, and Indonesia recently signed one with the UAE. Uh, Malaysia has recently announced uh, that they're working on one as well. Well, and you know so governments are busy uh, and it, and it's it's really positive. I just want to move on to um, what what is driving that foreign investment and there are some natural things and we think about geography and that you think about if you combine the sort of land masses of Southeast Asia and the Middle East, North Africa and Turkey it, it really is across the spine of that equator and and making them ideal hubs for trade and commerce, bolstered by phenomenal logistics infrastructure in both regions. So really, really attractive. Maybe Harish, you could touch on a little bit more of the ASEAN side of this equation.
0: Sure, absolutely, Khalid. You know, in addition to some of the common themes around the landmass, the population and the demographics, ASEAN has been a very, very strong export base, and we touched on it. The exports are expected to hit $2.8 trillion by 2025. But again, what we discussed, I think the governments are doing a lot to encourage entrepreneurship and innovation. Singapore, where I'm based out of, has actually been doing a number of things in this space across a wide variety of sectors to encourage startups and entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, you also briefly alluded to this. A lot of the ASEAN countries have been very active in signing Free trade agreements, introducing regulations that they can to actually promote investments, and all of this has resulted in roughly about 175 billion dollars of FDI coming into the region. It's that, that's really
1: interesting. I think you know from the MENA perspective, what we've seen is the implementation of more business-friendly policies in in previously quite kind of. Uh, systems that were sort of uh, more driven by patronage of local partners. So you can now own 100% of your business in many, many industries in the the Middle East and North Africa and Turkey. There are tax incentives. There there is a professionalization around governance um, and an encouragement of entrepreneurship through things like ecosystems, incubators, and even free zones um, being developed and expanded in places like Saudi Arabia uh, and across the GCC. What we see really is that the, the gap between the public sector and the private sector is not so big here. There's a great ear to the ground from the government and they are really listening to the private sector and what they need. And we're seeing lots of breaks and incentives being put in place to drive activity in these regions. Um, Ian, what are you seeing from a
2: trade perspective? I mean, I, I agree with everything you've just said. We we talked about in in you know a few minutes ago, about the way that the trade agreements are driving changes within the environment. And, and the most important piece of that is not necessarily about the governments agreeing with each other, it's about the customers taking advantage of those opportunities. So it's the environment of which the governments and which the trade agreements are creating. And we've seen that hugely between, I mean, the Singapore and the GCC one is a prime example, whereby businesses in the key sectors, such as petrochemicals, machinery and iron and steel, essentially reduce or eliminate tariffs. And that allows two companies, the exporter and the importer to trade together and to trade more effectively. Also, strong demand between the two markets. We heard about the demographics, we heard about the GDP, um, but the projections from the International Trade Center is one thing I was reading, which show exports potential of 53 billion, that's 53 billion, Khalid, between the ASEAN and the MENA countries. And Vietnam and Thailand from Southeast Asia have the greatest export potential at 15 and 10 billion respectively. And these are huge numbers. And the final point I'd make is that, from a global point of view, this is about diversification. We all know about the geopolitical and some of the economic uncertainty that's been associated with the traditional supply chains, for example, US-China tensions, Ukraine war. And the ASEAN the Minak Corridor provides great opportunities and new opportunities for growth that companies really ought to consider and have a look. And the final piece, and I think both yourself and Harish has mentioned it, with the growing middle class, The number of people entering the middle class, the growth of the consumerism, that gives huge opportunities. And that will surely only grow the GDPs of the two particular regions.
1: That brings us on to our final segment of the podcast today. And Harish, maybe you can sort of share with us a little bit more about what our customers and colleagues can expect if they need support in seizing opportunities in in these two exciting regions.
0: Absolutely. And Khalid, I think one thing that I want to highlight is... For example, in ASEAN, in almost all of these markets, we've been present since the late 1800s. That gives us a history of roughly about 140 years or so. And I'm sure you know it's pretty much similar in, in the MENAT region as well. And what does this presence give us is a very, very deep understanding of the local nuances in each of the market. So when our client comes into ask us about how they can thrive in these markets, we bring that expertise. Uh, And what this has also meant is we have developed very strong relationships with the regulators in these markets. And that can be quite critical when our clients are actually embarking on big growth plans. In addition to the uh, presence and the regulatory relationships, I think we offer a whole host of services across these markets, trade, we are very, very well connected, as Ian mentioned, across these two uh, corridors. And then if you look at uh, banking services, we offer the whole range. And I would say starting anywhere from very plain Manila account opening services all the way to your investment banking advisory services around how to tap into the markets. And with our various lines of businesses, we are also able to cross collaborate so that we can offer the entire range of services, including retail banking and private banking. Last but not the least, in both these markets, you have hubs uh, like Singapore and probably Dubai in the Middle East, where we are able to service our customers on a regional basis. As you know, a number of clients come into these hubs as a launch pad for the region, and we have a regional infrastructure built out of these hubs to help our clients. So, quite a few and really look forward to helping our clients and our colleagues untap the potential of this region.
1: Thanks a lot for that, Harish. And yeah, I I couldn't agree more. We've got fantastic footprints across both of these really exciting regions. And when I think about ASEAN and MENA, I can't think of very many more exciting and disruptive regions for the future and, and exciting opportunities for our corporate clients. I'd be remiss of me to to finish this without pointing to our incredible presence in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, which is to date this year, the fastest growing economy in the G20. We've got a fantastic partnership with Saab, one of the most important corporate banks in the kingdom. And we are also lucky to have HSBC Saudi Arabia, which is a a very, very market leading investment bank in in the country as well. So very lucky to be able to offer that
2: to our clients. Thanks, Kelly. Um, It's great to hear about the Saudi Arabian. It's such an important market for us. But the the one element I want to talk about is is how important ESG and sustainable finance is to both regions. Both regions have a transition that they need to make. There's there's opportunities within that. And and it would be remiss of me to to not present that HSBC has a whole range of sustainable solutions, um, sustainable bonds, sustainable supply chain solutions. And we would love to talk to our customers about where they are on their transition and what we can do to help. We have made some huge public commitments to this, and I think it's incredibly important for both regions um, that we're able to talk to our customers and provide them with the necessary expertise and finance if they require it.
1: I hope you guys found today's podcast as interesting as I did. Uh, It's been great to be here with two fantastic colleagues, and I really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you, gents. If you're interested in reading more about the ASEAN Minak Corridor, please visit our website. You can find the fuller report uh, and the link in the episode description. Thanks again for being with us today, and I look forward to speaking to you all again soon.
0: Thank you for joining us at HSBC Talks Business. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Please do subscribe to the HSBC Talks Business channel to stay up to date with new episodes.